afraid of grafters. Yeah, no! Ding, ding. One of those things I'd never known was whether you came to Leeds and did the chefing, or you were doing the chefing and then came to Leeds. Uh, I left Leeds uh, when I was 18 years of age. Oh, so you're from Leeds then? From Leeds, born okay. and bred. Uh, my parents moved to the Lake District when I was doing my GCSEs. And <coughs> finished with GCSEs, ready to go to university, but you do that gap year thing, yeah. right? And I'd never really been to the Lake District. So I thought, why not go and live rent-free with my parents? Go spend some time in the lakes, beautiful part of the world. So I moved up there and my dad's from Bradford, proper Yorkshire man. Within six minutes of being home, he said, you've got to get a job. <laughs> uh, and in the Lake District, the choices are probably working in hospitality or working in wool shops or selling cagoules. Uh, <laughs> so I'd done some KPN and stuff before. So I just went knocking on some doors. Just quickly, KPN. Oh, kitchen portering, doing a bit okay. of dish, dish, dishwashing and prepping veg. It's one of them things, I see the term flying around occasionally and I just, it's, it's, uh, feel too dumb to ask, I've been around too long already, but it's... <laughs> so the kitchen porter, maybe the most important part of the kitchen, I'm just putting that out there. Uh, so yeah, just started knocking on some doors and ended up getting a job in Grasmere in the Lake District, at a beautiful place called the Red Lion. Worked there over the summer and then got offered a full-time job. And that was it. And six, oh. 16 years later, <laughs> I'm still doing it. Oh, shit. So then after that, left the Lake District, went to Australia for a couple of years, came back here for a year, went to France, went to Italy, went to Turkey. What age? Uh, so this is all the way through my 20s. Oh, sick. And then uh, moved back here again for a year when it worked at Salvo's or the Salou Maria part of Salvos, and then mm. I moved to Australia for two years. <laughs> moved back for about six months, uh, and then moved to London for six years, and then moved back here about three years ago. And in all that time, I, when I was in London, did a mix of chefing and front of house, because the chef hours and wages in London were shoddy. Okay. Uh, real tough gig down in London as a chef, so decided, or thought it would be a lot easier to do front of house and then gained a real respect <laughs> for what people do front of house um, and learned a lot and then moved back here three years ago. How old are you for doing all of that? I'm, I, I was trying to tot it up, I was like, see you what, 53? Yeah, 58 this, no, 30, <laughs> 37 this year, so 36 Fucking now. Fucking hell. Yeah, so I've been about, Yeah. but it's been um, a real journey and I don't think without cooking, I'd have traveled most of the places I have. I think I've been very lucky in that respect. Yeah, yeah. Um, they say that uh, with, especially Australia, that it's a uh, very sort of travellers getting to do the hospitality thing and just grafting away. And it's, if you've got that as a background, you can jump in. Oh, 100%. I think um, the two countries that I would identify as like hospitality driven countries are Australia mm. and France. Okay. If you want to, it's just both those countries look after the industry very much. Yeah. The pay is great, the benefits are good. Um, yeah, I I read something recently about the Australian pay. What what's the deal with the pay there? So when I mean I went just over a decade ago. Okay. But, so the the cost of living is a lot higher there in terms of going out boozing and stuff's a lot more expensive. Yeah. But then for me, so your average, say your pint of beer is twelve dollars, but I was earning thirty six dollars an hour as just a line chef, so really yeah. basic chef in the kitchen, uh, basic prep, 
maybe on the fryer, maybe plating during a service, but nothing mega, so $36 an hour. And then on a Sunday, you used to get time and a half. Uh, and if you ever worked any of the big sort of holidays, like yeah. your Christmases and stuff, it's triple time. So some places, I, I was working in a cafe in South Australia over the first Christmas I was there. And on Christmas Eve, I was in $115 an hour. And I worked for 14 hours that day. And it's, nice. that's mad. Yeah, yeah. Because you, when you're here, hospitality is almost... You get by. You can get by even better in the best places. If the tips are great, then it's carrying you. But no, because I'd seen in Australia that it was... What I'd seen didn't make sense to me. Then it, it was just off the hook, decent pay. Oh, yeah, it's mad. Yeah, yeah. And even at a basic level. So I never in Australia was never at like head chef or sous chef level. Yeah. So I imagine the big boys in kitchens and hospitality there get mega money. But it's a, to me, it's a tough job. And yeah, yeah. I think when you look at Australia's economy with the tourism, hospitality is the Absolutely. third biggest contributor mm. to the Australian economy. So when you look at sort of countries and governments looking at stuff, look after the things that make the country successful. And like if hospitality is the backbone of your country, ensure that everybody within it is comfortable and yeah. happy. And Australia, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it does that. It's big what, time, big I've, time. I've forever seen people that like go up, go out there and they end up like sort of obviously staying a lot longer than they intended and just it's it almost it's a trope now um absolutely made sense when i heard that and hearing this it's yeah i can i can totally see what why and and, and not the, not so much the why but also the how it's because i think the why is people that fall in love with the traveling and wanting to stay out on the road that's an obvious thing because it's just you know it's the yeah. break from the norm and it's just seeing a different culture but it's always the how of just like but you know the 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 realities the day to day how the fuck do you make ends meet and all of these questions but if it's so alluring to like just big bucks yeah yeah 100% <laughs> and then i guess with australia as well each state in in australia is very different they okay tax tax wise and um, no, just in terms of the, the what the sort of hospitality industry is playing to, you know, you go out west oh, and okay. there's huge mining communities, so yes, yeah, there's yeah. a huge pub culture, and it's all like palmos and pints and pies, and you know, and then you go to your more cosmopolitan places like your Sydney's mm. and your Adelaide's, and the food's very different. You've got huge Asian influences, like Adelaide is the best dim sum I've ever had in my life. Yeah, there's a yeah. restaurant called Mars, weirdly called Marcel's in Adelaide and it does the best dim sum I've ever eaten in my life. Nice. So everywhere I went in Australia the culture was ever so slightly different around food. Mm. So whether it was serving your tradies or your miners or whether it was serving the tourists and the people that live there. And then you go down to, I spent quite a lot of time in Barossa Valley uh, which is a huge wine region. Okay. And then it's just a different world down there. Yeah. That's yeah. like farming on crack. Like people are so in touch with the landscape down there and so in touch with everything that's grown there. You start to, when I went there, I just questioned sort of, we live in the UK and it's gorgeous. Mm. And we're so far removed from everything that we eat and drink. Whereas you go to the Brossa Valley yeah. and you get 14 year olds that know where stuff comes from and how it's made. And, and, and I just think that's a real, it was a real eye opener for me in my mid twenties. I'd been cooking already for a, quite a few years. Mm and just had never seen anything like this before. And it yeah. really opened my eyes to cooking and flavors. And, you know, when you work in restaurants for such a long time and you see a bottle of wine on a shelf and you go, that's from Australia, mm. that's made with grapes, right? 
And you do, like it's a naivety about wine. And then when you go and work with these people that make this wine, mm. and you see how much time and energy and care they put into it. You then start to step back. And I now go into supermarkets. I'm a bit of a wine snob now, and I'll go into a supermarket. I ain't going near Blossom Hill. Do you know why? Because yeah. I'm aware that it's made of rubbish. <laughs> and it's processed, and it's horrible, and it's full of sugar. And it, it starts to make you understand like the scales of products and how expensive stuff is, and why it is that expensive. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And again, I think in, in the UK, we're, we're fairly removed from all that. And you, we've got things, the horrible things like the Vino app. And you'll sit in a restaurant and you'll Vino app and go, well, we can buy it for £20 online. But you're buying it for £20 online from okay. Australia. It's got to get here. So there's your tax and there's your... And people are just not thinking about labour costs. and, and Also the carbon element, because it's like yeah. this whole, you know, the globalistic world we've got now. It's all well and good being able to get this stuff, being able to get blueberries year-round. But, like, my blueberries are coming from fucking Peru. Yeah. So. I got some, I mean, they were nice. I got some from Sainsbury's the other day, but you're right, it's... yeah. But now we're just in a world with food and drink, I think, where we're so used to having everything. Mm, yeah, yeah. That we've put ourselves in a bit of a pickle, really. Yeah. I don't think we can come back from where we are now. You know, you couldn't simplify and, 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 and take a step back in the UK and sort of try and get people to use fishmongers and butchers and because we can have everything in Sainsbury's or Morrison's or whenever we want. Mm. I imagine it's probably going to be more like if... Once the supermarkets price up to the levels where it's essentially the yeah high street butcher, yeah. Now there's there's a fella in Headingley. I've forgotten his name, but um, there's that's like my local, I guess. Next to the uh, the greengrocers, yes, right? yeah, the little, yeah, the little guy in there. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I can imagine because I'll I'll defer to the local co-op kind of more often than not. Just and it's a price point thing often, but it's also convenience. Just it's there, yeah. but it feels like if. It would be that much nicer, better in every respect to be able to go to the the local butchers, if you know if, if things continue uh, go this way. That it's like as I say, the price points start to kind of meet in the middle, and it's like, well, why am I actually going to this the corporate supermarket when I could be getting it probably for the same money something better now? Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, I think price is always going to re- remain relatively simple uh, and the same, but quality. Yeah, yeah. The stuff you buy at Butchers is always going to be better than the supermarket. Yeah, yeah. Super farms suck. They're kind of <laughs> massive level, and yeah. they need to be stopped. But but even seeing like things, uh, the price of eggs, which is uh, sort of a, a current one at the moment, it's all well and good to say, oh, well, it's it's a fad thing, and it's some silly, it's or if it's even not happening or whatever. But the cold hard fact is, the price has jumped the fuck up on eggs the past few years, and things don't just fall back down. It's like once they've got, you know, it's once people accept that people are accepting of that price. It's normalized, that's right? Exactly, yeah. yeah. And it's like that price is only going to go up from now. It's uh, it's eggs now cost a, a premium. Yeah, 100%. And again, I think we're too far gone, like you said, to go back on anything like that anymore. Yeah. I think it's just now part and parcel of of society. And I, I think it's, I, I, it's sad because we've got a lot of amazing produce and a lot of growers and a lot of farmers and a lot of still amazing agriculture in this country. Yeah. And it's fucked by the major supermarkets. How do you get the supplies to uh, to your kitchens then? Uh, I'm fortunate enough to be, literally I can see Kirkgate Market. Of course, yeah. From yeah. Crowd of Favours window. Yeah. Uh, so I've got a butcher in there called JP Johnston. Big up JP Johnston's. Uh, um, 
Are they I'm, based on Butcher's Row or? Uh, no, oh, no so it's so all gone, isn't it? So they're it, in. Sorry, I forgot. It's it's. it's so they're just they're the aisle over from the fish section now. So okay. they're just in. They're kind of on a corner on their own. Um, they've been in the market now for like twenty six years. Okay. Just lovely folks. They know what they're doing. Mm. Um, as a chef, it's a real pleasure to go and sort of speak to them. Like they will do as much or as little as I need. Yeah. To meet in preparation for whatever I'm doing with it, and they're just bloody good folks. <laughs> do you know what I mean? And you know, there's no. There's no bullshit. Yeah. There's no sort of. Uh, there's no, they don't you know you go there they haven't got an Instagram they haven't got a Facebook they haven't there's no market there's no bullshit they're butchers and that's what they do. Yeah. And there's a big old wooden block in the middle of the thing and there's six butchers and you go there and you, and it's incredible. And for me that's to have that on my doorstep at work mm. is amazing because I can still be very involved. I go do, to the butchers. Do you know if a lot of the sort of the local businesses kind of get from the market then is that I believe uh I believe a lot of the traders inside you know the little food hall oh okay yeah, yeah they have to buy inside the market oh that's as part of their contract yeah which is ace yeah it's really nice they're allowed to buy like mayonnaise and stuff like mm. your sundries and yeah they're yeah, allowed like to buy rice. that outside but all your fresh stuff has got to be bought within the market okay um I know a few chefs that do use JP Johnson as well. Yeah. They're just good. They're just good, man. The quality is amazing. The price is fair. Yeah, yeah. And they're just nice people. No, I know Sebastian has been bigging up uh, the market for his, uh, especially the fish side as well. Yeah. Um, I guess the veg is it's on the outside, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. There's a couple of places on the inside. You've got Niels, who. All right. <laughs> uh, but then, yeah, the outdoor market, which is what, four days a week, is absolutely incredible. Yeah. And again, going to the market, is you see it in all these Netflix documentaries or anything that people like Bourdain have done. And, and as a chef, to be able to wander around a market in a morning. Do you know what? It's a strange thing because you say that and it's like we almost we forget that we do have this as a resource and that you see for all of for how popular Bourdain, because he's obviously had his, his big sort of renaissance the past couple of years. And uh, what's that? Um, what was that chef in series? It's just gotten renewed. Do you see that today? Oh, Chef's Table. No, um, it was about a shift. It was like... Boiling Point. Boiling Point. Oh, it was Stephen Graham. So it's just, they've just said there's going to be a, a, a follower. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's all of the, the, the chef in shit full stop is just really popping right now. And just, it's, everyone's loving that whole concept. But um, everyone loves Phil. No, somebody, no, somebody Feed Phil. That's the one. Yeah, Somebody Feed Phil is amazing. Fucking love that series. Um... Yeah, it was on my mind because I'd seen he was in Manchester last night. Oh, wow. And Rob Hallis, do you know? Yeah, Mr. Bastards, uh, Bastards Bistro. Bastards yeah, Bistro. Yeah, he posted a picture earlier with uh, his Lass and uh, Phil. I was like... What a nice guy. Yeah, yeah, fucking great. But, um, yeah, so the point I was trying to get to was that you see in these documentaries, like, them in foreign climes going to with the locals and getting the food and blah, blah, blah. And it's... As a, as a British person, you kind of... As, as an Indian person in an Indian market, they wouldn't see it that way. And as a British person in a British market, we don't get to see it that way. But I imagine it, if you, if say for example, Rob took Phil around, around uh, Leeds, Leeds Market, and just took him to all of the spots, and we would see it in an entirely fresh new way through his eyes. Yeah. And it's almost like you need to, you need to put yourself into those places and appreciate them for what they are. 
Yeah, 100%. I mean, you've got to think how old Kirkgate Market is. And it's the what now? There's that, it was the second largest indoor market in Europe. And then that one in Barcelona, the Time Out Market. Okay. Which again, it's funded by Time Out. So in essence, to me, it's not a it's not a market market. It's not something that's been there for decades and decades. So Leeds for a long time had this beautiful indoor market, which was the second largest in Europe. Man, like Kirkgate market is it is the largest in Europe apparently. And if you think about all these countries with massive food cultures and stuff, and Kirkgate market is up there with some of the. There's just now you walk through the market and it does feel a little bit sad. It is not the market of a decade ago. The old school butcher's row across the other side of it. It was incredible. It's, I know it was fucking great. And it's AKA Meat Street. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was it was magic and you had six butchers and all the butchers are stood on the door shouting prices at yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. It's I'd I'd seen bits and pieces about like them speculating about they, they wanted to kick them out to like bring in some sort of higher rent people, this, that, the other, but it's it's sat dormant for however long it's been now and it's like Yeah. I, yeah, it's, I don't know. I think Jamie... I don't know their business. I don't like him anyway. Jamie Oliver had a little bit of a... Because he built the Ministry of Food in there. Oh, His little okay. cooking school thing. I've seen that kicking off. It always looks really cool that they've got it. I saw uh, Rosita took uh, has been down there a few times, I think. Okay. Um, but that was built... He When that was when the Ministry of Food came in there, there was the whole ideology that the Ministry of Food would take over a large part of that street, which is why they moved all the butchers. <laughs> And that hasn't happened. Yeah. So it's just a silly little booth, like. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure it's great. I bet the cooking school is great, but. Oh yeah, but it stayed as as the sort of the size yeah, it is. Yeah, to get rid of everything that they got, to put that in, and there be no further progress. Mm. It's, uh, it's just a bit sad for me, I think. Yeah. Uh, well. Who the fuck knows with these things, especially with the uh, Victoria Gate so nearby, and that development, I guess, stealing a lot of the sort of the attention and the money from anything nearby definitely the money yeah yeah 100 yeah, yeah. but um, that's leeds business bullshit that we don't really know much about correct so at the moment <laughs> <laughs> you are Just keep cooking can i have a yeah yeah rocking the uh, the schnitt faced kitchen from crowd favors in yeah. town at the moment yes i love that spot uh, alongside uh, outlaws you got outlaws one side duck and drake the other side um that whole street now that's kind of coming alive with um I've forgotten what the street's called. So there's way on Harper Street. The other side is New York New York Street, and I don't know what that street. The one with like pastel and. Um, Which is gone now. Is it? Yeah. Oh shit! That's six months. <laughs> I was going to say that. That it stuck around. Didn't, didn't that's it? long, but you've got your weapon taken. You've got weapon your. Weapon take. I, I was. We, I think it was with Sebastian. We were trying to like w uh, remember what all the names were of all of the spots along there. But weapon takes beautiful. And then there's doghouse. The the, ba the bagel. Bagel and record shop. Yeah, yeah. There, real nice. Um, yeah, that street is coming alive a little bit, and I think it's just a a, a small pocket of leads that with a little bit of regeneration mm. and some people working quite hard to keep the sort of the vibe going and things fresh Leeds I think Leeds you know you look at somewhere like Manchester and it's split off it has its northern quarter and it has its sort of Chinatown yeah. and it has and Leeds doesn't really have that it's had it but it's been too kind of fractured or disjointed so like the top end you've got like the Marion Streets which has like what street is um, is it in I don't know the one that uh, Wax North Grindhouse yeah cellar so no, that, so yes, yeah, so you've got like that little strip there. <laughs> you've got like that little strip there. Then across to Belgrave Street, then down Marion, and 
Um, then Grand Arcade as well. Grand Arcade being sick as fuck right now. Yeah, wonderful. Yeah, yeah. And so like that in and of itself is a definite block. Then you've got the Coal Lane block. You've got the Greek Street block. You've got just all of these spots. But where you are right now, it, it really does feel like because you've got your little block of the sort of the food. So you've got um, Eat Your Greens we were talking about earlier around yeah, the yeah. corner. Um, and then just that, that round you've got then even with... Um, Wolf Chambers, just around the other way. Yeah, yeah. Um, so then that entire that entire area is like it's you could just. Have you been to that place that's um, opposite Duck and Drake? Oh, Saffron. Is that what it is? The grill yeah. place. Yeah, yeah, have, yeah. Good. Uh, yeah, it's nice. Yeah, yeah. That's 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 caught my eye. So you know that thing of wanting to check out like the places that you don't go in, but you've you always spot around. I think it's one of those as well. It's uh, we probably have a bit of a. You're too close to really be bigging them up, but it's. Uh... Or, no, because I mean we do different things. Yeah, you know, these yeah. guys are like a traditional Turkish grill spot. Yeah. And I think if you, in Leeds, we kind of overlook a little bit of that in terms of, the one thing I've noticed in the last two years in Leeds, we need to stop building burger places. <laughs> for the love of God, please. Uh, the gourmet burger scene has, you know, it seems to have an endless shelf life, which quite often with these things, they s tend to have two or three years and then okay. people are quite, and no offense to be, they're quite fickle. Haven't we lost, we lost one big one though. Byron. That's it, yeah, Byron. They've like the whole company has gone. Okay, yeah. They're done. But do you reckon like Byron's <laughs> slipping off in Leeds um, kind of left a gap for Honest to slip in? Because Honest, they seem cool as fuck to me. I mean, honestly. Uh, <laughs> if I'm going to be honest about it, honest do seem pretty cool. I, I, when I lived in London, they were about in London and they oh, were okay. awesome value for money. Yeah. It's a good burger. Yeah, yeah. And for a chain, they know what they're doing. And like, they have specials that are site specific and they kind of sit in this really nice sort of plateau between being a huge chain, but also allow each site to have almost a bit of individuality. Yeah. And I think when you look at I'm sorry to say it, someone like Meat Liquor. Meat Liquor in London is phenomenal. Okay. Meat Liquor in Leeds is not so much. Okay. And I just feel like, for me, that's someone who has eaten at the OG Meat Liquor in London and then you eat at the one here, they're worlds apart. And I suppose that's the stark reality of you start a really cool business and you try and roll it out and you, you get big. There's a level that's lost and I think Honest Burger have nailed it in that respect because they allow the sites to have more autonomy Yeah. rather than give you an idiot's guide on how to run our restaurants there's the base this needs to be done yeah, yeah. which is probably your due diligence and all yet and then they kind of say you do what you need to do to make the site work Yeah. and I think that's very rare within chain restaurants now so I think Honest have nailed it in that respect and for burger chains for me Way better than your five guys, and I would pick honest over. Oh yeah, 100%, any burger chain 100%. for sure. Yeah, and I was because I was curious when uh, Donna Summer started exploding, just how they would manage the. Uh, they they seemingly have kept it at a kind of a sensible level of just. I think they've got four spots across the north, um, so like Newcastle, Hull, Sheffield. I don't, I don't know. They, they've got spots yeah, across, yeah. but as you say, it's that thing of ensuring the sort of the the continuity of quality yeah. uh, whilst still allowing for a bit of personality to bleed through because you know this like you've got your OG spot and that's where that's where you come up and that's yeah. where you, you make your bones and people kind of learn to know that know and love the business um, people then if they see that spot elsewhere 
you kind of want to have something about it, you know? It's uh, Well, I think when you get to that level and you have 15, 20 sites across the country, the one thing you need to have is consistency. Uh, are honest at that level then? Uh, Meat Liquor, I think. Oh, and, okay. And Meat yeah, Liquor yeah. and Honest have both got, I think Meat Liquor's got six, seven sites in London. Mm. Honest wow. have got about eight or nine sites in London as well. Oh, okay. It's big and... yeah. You know, when you get to, I guess it depends who's running the business and they get to a level and go, what are we doing this for now? Yeah, is this, yeah. we've done it for three years as this one restaurant, it went really well. Do we now change our path and go, fuck it, someone's going to chuck half a million quid into the business and we're going to go at 15 restaurants Yeah, and then we're out. And I don't know, in, in terms of chefing, you know, I'm 36, I've got a shelf life. I don't want to be working. Yeah. 60, I love cooking man but I don't want to be working 60 hours a week seven, seven, six, seven days a week Yeah, into my 40s if I created a concept and someone went that bangs man do you want a million quid for the concept yeah alright mate <laughs> and then I'm out and that's yeah. that's the honest truth so I think but you've, got it, but you've got it to the stage now with Schnittfaced where you can hand off you can be not on site and trust folk to carry your name yeah 100% I've got uh, quite a small I mean the gang that I've had since I've been back to Leeds, you've had Holy Mountain Kitchen, aka Harry George Jones, on the show before. Uh, him and I have worked really closely for the last three years. Um, he's a wonderful human being and, and sort of really put me back on when I moved back to Leeds. Gave me my first chef job when I was back in Leeds. So, And I think between him and I and Leng Libation, who makes some of the world's most beautiful drinks during the <laughs> lockdown, really formed sort of an alliance and had a conversation about how we wanted any kitchens we did or business to be and it was very much an importance on the job's difficult so we want people to really enjoy what they do and it isn't a case of uh, I could never get mad at, at a chef for not being busy or not you know and there's certain kitchens that real put real pressure on especially young chefs coming into the kitchen to perform and I, I think sometimes it's out of your hands Yeah, you're in the kitchen and you've got a menu and you've got the food but if people don't turn up you know, there's something wrong, and I think that's then my responsibility to look at, and not the people in the kitchen. Yeah. I want to give them the tools to be the best chefs that they can be, not for them to be sat in the kitchen going, fuck, why aren't we busy today? That's my job. Um, so, like, with writing menus and stuff, I'm, we're just trying to keep things as light and as loose and as fun as possible. I think maybe the hospitality industry has started taking itself a little bit too seriously. Um, and there's a lot of people cooking for ego, which is something I hope I've never done. I'm probably guilty of it a couple of times in my well, tenure gonna, in you're kitchens. You're going to throw in a flourish occasionally, but but I mean that's what pop-ups are for. But like with yeah. the whole crowd of favors thing, for me, there's very few good pubs in the city outside of maybe White Locks that are doing unpretentious, affordable pub food. Yeah, you go pubs now and it's fifteen, sixteen quid for fish and chips. That's bullshit, man. You can go to the market and buy beautiful. If you're using haddock and cod still as a business, you're an idiot. Uh, you should go and buy your coleys and your whitings and that sort of stuff. And if if you can't make fish and chips in a pub as a chef, as a head chef, and put it on your menu and make it ten, twelve pounds so people can come and afford it, you probably shouldn't be doing your job. So just to go back into that a sec. So the cod, the haddock, that's like just it's a little too pricey for. I mean, it's expensive and. It, <laughs> 
It, it's kind of hypocritical. This, this is for me just coming at it from the. I've I've literally no real no idea on fish and yeah what the, the breadth of what is available there and what is acceptable as well. What it would be acceptable within a kitchen for the clientele as well, I guess. Of course, I think it's uh, with with anything. It's you know it's about sort of again. I think there's a lot of head chefs now that buy from suppliers, right? Stuff just turns up. Yeah. They won't get a whole fish. They'll get everything prepped and they won't. So it's the ideology that you need to stay in touch with process and understand what's going on. Go and speak to your fishmonger and find out. And, you know, in the last 18 months, haddock and cod have gone up probably 70, 80%. But then if you speak to the fishmonger, they can say, well, this other stock, it's as good. The price is more stable. You know, and you get things like coley, which... I'll be honest, right, if you're cooking a piece of fish in a pan and the standout thing on that dish has to be the piece of fish, mm. don't use coley. If you're putting fish in batter and sticking it in a fryer and putting sauce and salt and vinegar on top of it, use a piece of coley. Yeah. It's more sustainable. You know, it's hypocritical a little bit of me to say it's more sustainable because hospitality generally, not a massively sustainable industry, but if we can help in any way possible, yes, then yeah. we should be doing it and chefs should have the foresight to be speaking to. You know, if you have a dude that turns up once every six months from your fishmongers and has a chat with you and gives you a specials list, that's not you being involved in a process of your menus and understanding what's coming out of the sea or, you know, what's local or what's not having to travel. You're you're as far removed as, as the people going to supermarket and buying meats off yeah. the shelves for me. So if you're in that position in a kitchen and you can be involved in that process, you should want to be as a head chef. Is this is this kind of coming from maybe how people are arriving into the chefing scene? Then, does it kind of like, is it how they how they're spawned? Is how they then live with within that career, or is it? I mean, is it also maybe a symptom of just this sort of the cost of living crisis at the moment of people just going the simplest route, which is just people expect this will give them this, and um, I think I mean you you kind of touched on it before when you said that the chef stuff's popping off right now and it's quite cool to be okay and we had a brief chat before we sat down to do this about getting into the bar scene and there's a bit of a rock and roll element to that mm. and people go it's a cool job man yeah yeah and what they what they see then is this whole we'll get in the kitchen we'll cook and then we'll get levered and that's rock and roll man and they go out and they have a good time and then they go and work a 14-hour shift but i i think and it's something probably i've only learned properly in the last three or four years that there's a whole lot more when you're running a kitchen and when you're putting menus together, there's a whole lot more that needs to be understood. When you're putting stuff out on a plate, like the customer is key. That's the number one thing. Without customers, you have no business. But the other thing, the real important thing is, you know, I don't think people realize when you're GP in dishes and when you, I know head chefs now that work for large companies and they don't know how to GP their own dishes. So GP. So just sorry. So to GP around dishes is when you it's your gross profit on a dish. Oh, okay. So you look at all your ingredients, price per portion, what you're selling it at, and your GP. So that's how you make the magic mix for a business. A food business should be one third food cost, one third wage costs, one third profit. Okay. That's Gordon Ramsay. I didn't make that <laughs> up. Um, but that's where you should be at and, and and i think now there's so many larger companies who don't train chefs about that 
So they don't worry about that and they just put okay. stuff out. So they don't need to be in touch with the process. And now people just walk into kitchens and go, well, it's this cool fucking job where you turn up. We cook really hard and then we go out and drink loads and take cocaine and get four hours sleep and then go into work. And do and again, because everything will turn up, everything will be delivered in a box, prepared, ready for you to cook. Yeah. The further we seem to get into the industry in this country, more and more processes have been removed yes. from chefs. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, we are going to, and we've always joked about it, everyone's always joked about it, to work at, and no disrespect to people that work in a weather spoons, but there's always been that joke that people are a microwave technician, right? Yeah. And I feel like even in some bigger kitchens now with restaurants that are slightly more reputable, more and more processes have been removed. So we're even in some restaurants where you're paying £25 for a main course, you'll go into that kitchen and I guarantee you'll be shocked at some of the practices that are happening in that kitchen because you expect for that money these things there is a little bit more care or there is a you know but it's not happening it's yeah. as the years pass by companies are going okay reduce labor costs reduce this reduce this we'll get this if we buy it in bulk it's cheaper so we'll freeze more and then you then have to pay people less money because they're less skilled and it's just more becoming for even good restaurants now pay a head chef a good amount of money everything else under that doesn't fucking matter yeah and it's sad but it's the way of the world yeah I guess so. it's almost like the, the yeah as you say see the coming in stage the the sales pitch element of why do you want to do this thing and as you say it's like it's the cool it's uh, yeah but I mean it feels like if you're going to have a strong section of those people that will have the Bourdain awareness and the sort of the you know, the, there are so many food documentaries out there now, full stop. There was a great one I saw recently. Um, it was like heat, acid, salt, something. Or it was, and it was this this uh, this yeah, chef. Sounds good. Yeah, there was this chef. She was like uh, talking through each element on each episode and really kind of expounding on how all all of the dishes sort of were touched by these things. And it was, it just feels like it's it's never been a, a greater time for just awareness of these things. We obviously through the sort of the. Uh, British TV is riddled with uh, these icons um, of just, I mean, we've got the dealers, but we've also got just going back. Who was the lad that used to like get fucking smashed every episode? Oh, back in the day. Yeah, yeah. He was like, like the first ever. Like 70s. What was his name? Loved wine. Yeah. Loved a bit oh, of wine. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Fantastic voice as well. But it's, and he always had like a dicky bow on. And um, this is going to really annoy me because me and Harry. Floyd. 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 Harry and I watched a documentary about him on. YouTube. He's just been a part of my life, like a, just he, for being British. Because he's been, you know what I mean? He's been a recluse for a lot of years. He's. I thought he died. Yeah, but, but well, he had a bit of life oh, before okay. he died, obviously. But after chefing and after being on yeah, television, yeah, sort yeah, of, yeah. yeah, he lost his mind a little bit and okay, and sort of ended up living in a chateau in France. And who was it? It was what's Lily Allen's dad called? Keith. Keith Allen. Alan Floyd, Floyd. Anyway, <laughs> Keith Floyd, that's why. And the documentary is called The Two Keiths. Oh, so he okay. went to visit cool, cool. Keith Floyd in this town in France. Yeah. And he was living in this dilapidated chateau. There wasn't much furniture, but there was still some 1898 bottles of <laughs> Chateau Neuf de Pape or whatever in his house. And he was still wearing a cravat. And, you know, there was this. Sorry, that's this, just that's um, my dad's favourite wine. Also a Keith. All the Keiths. It's all the Keiths. All the Keiths. The, the Chateau Neuf de Pape. Yeah. It was a real interesting documentary. 
Sorry, I've absolutely digressed there. But no, no, no. But the point was just that we've got this real like um, British culture, as I say, of just having these chefs in the background of our lives and that connection to the food. It does feel like it's dropped off more recently. We've whatever else has taken the forefront. Um, the bake, com- what's the, the the baking show? Mm. Bake Off, Great British Bake, bake Off. Yeah, all of that. I, I don't watch TV, so I don't catch, uh, stay up to date with all of these things. But like, I'm aware that there's all of these baking shows and it's like, fucking baking, awesome. Um, <laughs> well, I'm, I'm sure well, maybe we'll get a baker on. It's, it's, I like cakes, man. Yeah, oh, but yeah. then I, I'm, I'm sure. Fit- but a heritage flower, I'm sure that's like a thing whereby there's there's certain elements you could sort of say. Well, no, actually, we're gonna watch something. I watched a baking competition show this weekend, actually, and it's you know, it's just it's fun. It's a bit silly. It's whatever. But um, I just feel like the food, though. The point I was getting to was that we haven't got that. There's been a maybe the past decade or so that we've lost that direct food connection within our culture and maybe with all of the sort of the current crop of documentaries we've got online because I think if you've got Netflix and you need something to watch then eventually you fall on if you've got a food interest or a, you've, you've loved the chef shows you see the food documentary oh, let's put this on it's Sunday afternoon and it feels like we could be gravitating more back towards that once people get over the sort of the uh, the cocaine rush of the cool of these these uh, boiling point type shows of just constant stress and pressure and just the high of it all, you know, it's it's very. Yeah, I think there's um. I also makes think, it seem cool. Yeah, like the attitudes in kitchens have definitely changed a lot as well since I was first started to be a chef. Okay. I think there very much was a when I started. I mean, maybe for HR reasons and everything. Now I <laughs> remember the first head chef I ever worked under properly used to burn people with forks on the back of the elbow if you weren't working quick enough yeah and yeah. i'm pretty sure if you did that now you get sued um <laughs> but I, I also just think there's um and i think a lot of it comes from the rise of street food and i think there is a way more open and accepting idea in kitchens now where chefs work together and they want to push you on and they want to you know quite often when you in the past when i've worked in really well established restaurants you're cooking for the head chef and you know that you're cooking for the head chef. Okay. You know, and that is the hierarchy and that is the, that won't change. Mm. You work for him or her and that is it. That is the way that the kitchen works. You know, there's no, if you create a dish, chefs, if you create a dish in one of these old school environments, yeah, you'll give it to the head chef, he'll put it on the menu and people go, wow, and he'll go, thank you. And you know, hospitality is not a pat on the head industry. So you, yeah. you know, you can't expect people will go. Well, you're just doing your fucking job, mate. So chill out. You know, and it, but I think those attitudes are changing massively. And I think street food has a massive sort of has had a massive involvement in that because you people are now seeing the idea that you can go and work these busy festivals, or you can, and it doesn't have to be some dude in some white screaming at you telling you that you're absolutely useless yeah. and you need to cook faster. And I think now that's spilling over into larger commercial kitchens. I know for me personally, I'm not a, I don't think you ever get the best out of anyone by shouting at them. No. I no. think it's um, trying to allow people to flourish and just find a love with with what they're doing. Like I said to you before, I, I, there's people of my age now that do jobs that they really dislike. And I, I, for the life of me, don't understand that. If I was doing something I didn't like, I'd leave. And that's it other people like the stability or whatever but I think within kitchens if you find people that 
love food and care about food the stress and the long hours and stuff kind of dissipate and uh, are not that important because yeah. you're if the phrase is if you love your work you never work a day in your life and I believe that's true I've yeah. been cooking for 16 years a little bit more and I'd, I'd there's a few hangovers I've had in the past and it has felt like work when I've gone into work but generally on a day-to-day -day, I never wake up going shit I've got to go to work today it's a, it's a joy to get up and go right let's see what today brings what we cooking today so um, and I think that's starting to be more commonplace in kitchens now where it's less shouty and possibly overly aggressive yeah there's less intimidation you, you, you in really, kitchens you really can't do that though and it's you know it just Cooking's fun, man, mm. and it's nice. Hospitality's fun, full stop. Yeah, and it's like you know, even when you say like you you have the hangover shift sometimes, it's like I've I've seen you on a, a very hungover shift, and you shared the wealth and sort of hooked us up with a cheese sandwich as well when you were certain. Mate, you, so it's you know even even at the, the lowest step, there's always going to be a benefit for the front of the house. Yeah, <laughs> I I think that's the other thing as well, and that's disappeared and definitely in the last five years is the front of house and back of house battle. I think that was raging in hospitality for years. I never, yeah, that, I mean, I, I wouldn't have ever been a, the one to fall into that, but like, I, I wouldn't have ever, I couldn't have ever seen it making sense to any degree. No, like it's, in restaurants and it was always, you know, it's their fault and it's, and I've come to learn very quickly that just try and create a more cohesive environment for everybody. Yeah. And business just flows that way and it, it works better and it's nicer and it's, so like you said, for me, you know, if, if a front of house comes into the kitchen, and they're a bit hungry or whatever. I know in kitchens in the past, chefs would be like, it's five o'clock, why haven't you fucking eaten already today? Look, if someone comes into the kitchen and they're hungry, man, yeah. if we've got some stuff we can feed them, why wouldn't we feed them? Yeah. If there's a special on, give them a little bit of the special and then it gets them excited. They'll <laughs> eat the special and go boom and then you they sell, can sell the chef. Sell yeah, yeah. 10 specials. So it's the inclusion, I think, that, you, that we're starting to see more and more and it, it's a really positive thing for the industry that um, kitchens are less daunting they're still quite stressful but i think that's just when you're busy it's a stressful environment yeah but if you have somebody in a kitchen that is there to sort of nurture the love of cooking and guide you through that busy stressful shit then cooking becomes really easy and really fun and the more people that get involved in cooking i think uh i think and i'm not going to lie to you i think anyone can cook i think even somebody that says has no skills of cooking. Go and spend a kitchen. Come and spend a, six weeks in a kitchen with me. Yeah. I can teach you how to cook. I can't teach you how to care. There's the difference. I, I, but if, you, if you're going to volunteer yourself for six weeks, there's the care. Yeah. Yeah. I can teach you how to cook a lot of stuff. If you like cooking and you think you can't cook, I can teach you how to do that. What I can't teach you to do is, is how to take care of your kitchens and how to take care of you. That's an element of passion that isn't learnt. Yeah. You either want to do it or you don't. And if you don't want to do it, don't do it. <laughs> if you do want to do it, go hard and, and do it to the best of your ability. When you mentioned the, the stresses element, have you come across much of that yourself? How have you dealt with it? I mean, what, was, what are the sort of the, uh, the stress points really? Uh, I think early days of cooking in my early 20s, it was very much a case in kitchens where you were you were made to feel that everything was a competition so again there was a cohesive nature in the kitchen but also you're battling against everybody else in that kitchen to to, to sort of 
get within the eyes of the head chef of you being the next guy in the kitchen. Okay. And with that, there's there are an awful lot of stress to perform constantly, and and I know you have to perform constantly in a kitchen, but that stress when you're 20 years old or 22 years old in a kitchen of 10 people can be quite overbearing, and it sucks a lot of the soul out of what you're doing. It's just like it's a constant. Uh, it burns into your brain that every day you have to be 110 percent, and it's yeah. it it becomes quite quite consuming. And even when you leave your job, you're stressed about the next day. Yeah. But again, I think that comes from old school kitchen environments. Um, what would be the uh, the ten person kitchen then? Because I can't even imagine. What... Uh, so it's pretty much like old school style of French kitchens. So. I mean, we don't see them massively in the UK unless you're in fine dining, but everyone has a section, so you'll have a starter section, someone will be on sauce, someone will be on can you run? Can you run through, like, typically in a kitchen, what the sort of the, the personnel levels would be? So, like, you got KP, Sue's, Head Chef, I, all of these terms. Yeah, so uh, from your big dog, you'd have your Head Chef. So in, like, a really large kitchen if you're in a big boy business. Yeah. Uh, or like a hotel kitchen, you'll have your head chef who runs the pass. So they will essentially plate food. They normally have the sous chef up there with them. So what will happen during service, tickets called out, you'll have six or seven stations. So you'll have your meat, your fish, your veg, your sauce, your starters, your desserts. So during the starters normally get prepared and then essentially what will happen is all the elements of a dish will get taken to the head chef mm. and they will plate at the pass and then send but what will happen is once a check is called out you'll have six guys stood behind the chef who will all then have to communicate for the next four or five minutes while this happens another check can come on yeah. and you have to think that the head chef has a check in his hand but you don't so it's a point there could be ten orders on <laughs> and the chef has called out all these orders You've got three people you're speaking to because you're only creating one element of that dish. And all of that has to then cohesively go, yes, chef, up at the same time, up at the same. If there is a minute between or two minutes between some elements going to the plate, to the Mm. pass, chef will throw them in the bin. You have to start the dish again. But then what they will do is stop service. That check doesn't go to the back of the queue. So you stop service. So then that the intensity of that pressure. Yeah. Then is you've got to recreate that dish, but now chef wants it in half the time than he would have in the first place, but at the same quality. Um, yeah, it's fucked. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I can I can see how you you need to have that level of uh, staff in the back there if it, if each area is the speciality of each kind of uh, staff. Yeah, I mean it's it's a level of like fine dining was a level of cooking that I'm not afraid to admit was too much for me. I think it just there's something about cooking that I really enjoy and it is more about sort of the market element and messing about so with, with flavours and so doing... with what you're doing at the moment it's like very much kind of an even keel of everyone's doing the same level of responsibility or... 100% there's no hierarchy in my kitchen there's okay. no um, everybody in my kitchen knows the menus they know the specs they know and we cook and you know if I'm not in the building and Joe who's my sous chef even though there's no hierarchy, but Joe, who is the man in charge when I'm not there, knows that within the business, if he wants to put a special out, there's no, he doesn't have to go through 25 hoops to get it on the menu. Yeah, yeah. Joe knows 
what we put out is what we put out and he knows the style and he knows you know but I don't know maybe if Joe rung me one day and said can I put a completely out there dish on the menu if he's comfortable cooking it and it tastes good yeah that's kind of the only things that are important to me really there's no I don't think you know looking at what I've done over the last three years been back in Leeds I don't think there's any sort of pattern to Anthony just does this and Schnittface just cooks that I don't think there's anything I cook in particular no no I cook and that's it and you know during the lockdowns when we did the forest cookouts we were cooking sardines and asparagus over fire and then crowd of favors we're doing pub food and then I you know we've done pop-ups where we're doing bodega sandwiches and there's for me that there's no sort of I don't want to pigeonhole myself with what I'm doing with cooking because yeah. I like all cooking yeah. you know with Harry he had a holy ramen in assembly underground yeah, fuck yeah. man before Harry opened that I think I'd only ever eaten one ramen in my life <laughs> and I'd certainly never cook one um, but for me that's the beauty I'm 36 and I feel like I'm still learning a lot about food especially when it comes to like cultures and food and um, you know I think fusion has become a huge thing in kitchens and I, I I think it's just really exciting to see what people are producing now and uh, I would never want to say that I'm only ever going to cook one thing for the rest of my life mm. because that would probably suck like if I was just to cook like do a steak restaurant and just cook steaks for the rest of my life that would be I'll be honest it would be boring after a year a year and a half it would probably get really boring Yeah. So, speaking of which let's bang this steak on just so it's done and we can get this the fuck out of the way uh, the idea being that um, Anthony was interested to play with we'll see what happens with this new air fryer that I've got so we'll throw a steak in the air fryer and see what it turns out as you were saying with regards to like um, Schmidtface not wanting to pigeonhole itself um, and the sort of the diversity of what you're actually bringing to the game um, interestingly it felt like Joe is getting a very unique education with what he's doing with you at the moment. Joe, uh, Joe McKenna? DJ Joe McKenna. DJ Joe but, McKenna. But, but. Um, in that, like, he's quite liberal with his time, shall we say, is that he's doing, helping you got you out a yeah, lot. Yeah. Uh, working the, with you, working with Holy Mountain. Yeah. Um, he's a DJ, he's in a band. But yeah, but also, I guess, yeah, time management. He's a very, <laughs> he's a very proactive individual. Um, yeah. I've worked with Joe since two and a bit years now since I was head chef at House of Coco um, he's just a super talent is Joe not only is he just an awesome individual he um, I don't think I've ever worked with a chef that is so proactive naturally that was preheat alright talk us through this Steve cause sorry I'm just pressing a preheat button oh wow that Apparently is loud you've got to preheat it I'm going to preheat it see what sounds the like happens. it's going to take off um, but yeah, it just feels like uh, this era is about people just getting through it. Like when, when we spoke with Harry, um, a large part of that, when we talked on um, him getting through the lockdowns, the way that he was doing this sort of, we're doing chicken dishes now, we're doing ramen, we're whatever it is, you, you do what you do to get by. And Joe was clearly he's got like a lot of creative passions that he wants to kind of be doing alongside his make ends meet life but he's also kind of luckily fallen into this area where he can kind of do something which is a definite passion area and a definite like 
it's it's a worthwhile area to work within. Yeah. And, and it feels like with him landing with uh, both yourself and Harry, that like he's getting this fucking fantastic. He's. It's. I, I can only imagine the not just the um, the food side of things, but like it's a total holistic education that he will he will have the was it the GP? Yeah. So he'll just have that full on. He's, yeah, he, was, he knows how all that stuff works. So him and, and Matty will have been running it on Sunday. Yeah, yeah. So Matty Otter, another big shout out. Big um, lad. And another another lad that's got his very strong creative stuff on the side. So he's yeah. been working on the music promotion stuff for for the longest. Um, and uh, yeah, on a, again, working with yourself and Harry. I mean, I think this is the thing. I think, again... The old school idea was, and I had a conversation quite a while ago with Joe about it, um, and he said, "Being a chef, it, it, is it all encompassing?" And I, I genuinely don't think it has to be. Mm. I think if you want it to be, it can be. Yeah. But I don't think it has to be, and I don't, you know, again, that old school mentality is: as a chef, you should work six days a week, fifteen hours a day. Otherwise, you're gonna, you're not going to become a good chef. That's bollocks. Yeah. You, you know. You, you know what being a good chef is is when you're not at work cook on your days off experiment with food go to restaurants be out and about go to these street food markets go to your butchers go that's what then develops you and sort of heightens your senses around cooking which in my opinion then makes you a better chef yeah spending 75 hours a week in a room that's pretty small with very limited ventilation with the same people doesn't make you a better chef doing the same menu yeah and I, I I just think there's you know I'm lucky to work with Joe Joe's 20 and he really 20, 21, 22 now he really keeps me on my toes wow he's very energetic he's can you even imagine being 21 again I can't remember it that's for sure <laughs> um, so working with Joe's ace and he just has that enthusiasm that you know, I'm lucky to have him in the kitchen. If he's doing this at 2021, 20, fucking hell, this is setting him for life. So, and I mean, it's one of those things like the stuff he's done with, the the levels of diversity he's done, all the stuff with Harry over in, and he's done events with Harry, so he's yeah. done the burgers, he's done events with Harry, he's done the pub stuff with me, he did all the brunch stuff with me at House of Coco, so he's got a real skill set already, and, you know, I know that he wants to pursue DJ, and I know he wants to pursue music, it's a tough industry so to have a skill set outside of that like like I said real early on I don't think I'd have traveled as much yeah had I not been a chef because I know that I can walk into any country even if you don't speak <laughs> the language yeah and you can hold a very very basic conversation with someone and you knock on a door and you tell them that you know how to prep vegetables mm. and wash dishes or you can tell them that you're a chef you will find work yeah so to, to just even if you get two years experience in a kitchen under your belt and you know the basics you can get a job anywhere so for Joe at the moment at the moment he works for me three days a week and then he's got his band stuff and his DJ stuff but he also really helps me run my business you know I don't want to be stuck in the business six days a week because then there's no opportunity to create or be outside and at the moment we kind of have to be multifaceted so uh, me and Sam Greedy, aka Leng Libation, are starting a new pop-up concept this okay. summer called Fable. Keep your fucking eyes peeled. It's going to be mega. I'm not going to tell you any more about that. <laughs> Apart from the fact it's going to be amazing. Um, and without having Joe within my team, I wouldn't be able to do these things. I would just be... 
and it sounds horrible be stuck in that kitchen i love working there yeah. it's brilliant i love the team i love but there there has to be a removal i think for like creative process yeah i have to be able to go away and go to pop-ups and go to other bars and, yeah. and you know maybe sounds like i just want to go out and drink and eat all the time but what's that's been the, what's been catching your eye recently in leeds then or even just the area Oh, sorry, yeah. <laughs> so what's been catching your eye in the local area recently then? Uh, I think really you've got to look at always big hitters in Leeds. Stutzy yes. are incredible. Now, um, Cy Turner, who is the head chef at Stutzy, I, I worked with quite a long time ago. Now, in light of your inflation and all that sort of stuff, I feel mm. like Stutzy's had to change its business model quite a lot because everything was imported, right, from Italy before. Oh, okay. And with everything going on, I f yeah. you know, and you kind of look at the menus now, I, I kind of feel like that's not happening. But it, the transition from what they were doing before to similarly to what they're doing now has been pretty impressive. Stutzi has managed to go through a transition without people really knowing they're going through a transition. Okay. And I think that's incredible if you have a man that's running a kitchen that Stutzy had this reputation for what it was doing before and it's still maintaining that reputation. Are they still based in Grand Arcade? Yeah. yeah. But a lot of the produce has changed, a lot of the suppliers have changed just because it's almost impossible now to be importing this and this and this and then selling it in a restaurant. And yeah. And Simon's only, I think he's only been head chef there maybe eight months, nine months. So that reputation for Stutzy was always there and he's, he's yeah. It's Held it. Mind-blowingly good. Yeah, yeah. Um, Anywhere else? Do you know what? I probably I'm going to shout a couple of people I haven't eaten with yet, but I'm enjoying watching what they're doing. In fact, Brazen Squad, uh, who did their first ever pop up at Crowd of Favors, I'm watching these guys at the moment, and they blow my mind. They're amazing. Um, I, didn't, I didn't spot that one. So Jamie and Jordan, they both work at Ox Club. Oh Jesus! They took over the boot and rally doing Sunday roasts, and yeah. I mean we do a nice roast at Crowders, you know, but it's not, not anywhere near what these boys are doing. It's um, yeah, Ox is just one of those things. It's like hanging around my fucking neck, like a, like a, <laughs> something that would hang around an Ox's neck, and it's just every time it's like we've got to go to Ox Club, we've got to go for the Sunday, and I have a reservation for Well, maybe I'll get involved. There I think you need to go. I think I've just found my first ox experience. But yeah, it was. Uh, it's. I think I'd seen um, Sebas took his mum there like two weeks ago or three weeks ago, and it's. It's this constant reminder of yeah, okay, I need to go there. Cool. And it's just in Central Leeds. Ox Club's incredible. Yeah, yeah. And that's one place that just hasn't faltered for me. I know they've been through since it opened a couple of different head chefs. There was Liam Davy, uh, not Liam Davy. There Andy Castle was there for quite a while. Who he's now gone with Josh Whitehead to do some stuff in Harrogate. Oh wow! And, oh nice. Um, ben Davy was there for a while, and they've always had an impeccable kitchen team. Yes. And it's always been brilliant. And now they've got quite a young team there, and they're still churning out some incredible stuff. So it kind of gives you this this hope that there is some. And and again, the the two chefs, Jamie and Jordan, that have come out of Ox, and they're starting to do brazen squad yeah yeah they're brilliant they're really personable dudes as well they're just really nice to talk to and their knowledge and care for food is is wonderful to see these are people that have you know they've worked to be in the position that they are in at ox club but it's nice to see that they're taking these skills and now going well hold on 
this is cool man but we would like a little bit more I'm not saying Ox Club doesn't give them an expression of how they want to put food out oh, but yeah, it's yeah, nice yeah. to see that they want to step outside of that no but calling your ship Brazen Squad alongside the sort of the brand that Ox Club has got it's a very different world it's um, and, they're, and what they're doing is incredible um I've eaten with them. They did like a hot dog thing at Wellington Place, uh, maybe just uh, just before Christmas, perhaps. Fuck yeah. me, man! <laughs> the the humble hot dog. Yeah. And these guys are just not messing about. They they've gone in hundred percent, and it's it's good to see. There's the Dijon boys who I haven't eaten with yet. Looking at the Dijon boys and what they're doing online, I think is uh, I'm a little bit jealous because it's probably the conversations me Harry. Matty and Sam had two and a half years ago and we wanted to very do very similar vibes yeah, yeah, yeah we wanted to do a similar thing to them but they have their shit together more than we did I <laughs> guess at that point and watching their growth over the last year has been amazing and I think where are, with, they, where are they coming out of so they're number eight cocktails in me would again I haven't oh, okay. been to any of these places they, yeah. they started they took over the kitchen at Watermark for a while yeah number eight cocktails but They've got this sort of, it's this beautiful sort of, sits between sort of normality and fine dining, small plates. But then now they're doing burgers at the Alfred and Terminus, also in Meanwood. Oh, okay. And then they're doing pop-ups, which are, and they've Meanwood just... Meanwood is really coming up this past, I've, yeah, I felt weird about it, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure, it's, I don't know, it's, it's never really set, sat right with me, but it's... There seems to be a, f a few decent spots coming up now, and it's uh, really getting, especially for the food side, the, the food and beer, it really is. Um, and then you look at these spots, and they're like in, you know, maybe kind of questionable locations sometimes. But I mean, Boot and Rally's always been pretty sick. I know that Harry did a lot of pop ups with the Boot and Rally guys, and then Stutzy do a lot of pop ups at Boot and Rally. I think Meanwood's okay. just one of those bases, if you've ever been, I don't know, like Zucco for me. Yeah. Undoubtedly. Stutzy's good man but Zucco if you want to go traditional straight down the line Italian oh yeah yeah is the one. Oh Jesus that sounds crispy Steve there we go flipped it by hand yeah I would I've just realised I've not got oh uh, anything that I need for this but fuck it we'll see what happens um yeah, when, when I've done the steak, just bang it in the tinfoil, salt, butter. I forgot all of those details when I was... Uh, That's all right. It's all good. We'll see what it. happens. Look at it, Steve. It's not a frying pan, is it? Exactly. It's, uh, it's my big daft black robot, black box robot. Um, and as I say, it's, it's a, a straight-up convenience thing whilst I'm sat working away at my office desk. And I can just waltz in the kitchen, chuck it in the box press the button and it does the thing and it's for me it's for the for the no for the no thinking aspect of it it's it's brilliant but it's um it's a very different experience to actually kind of standing over the pan you know it's you have to just be there it's uh the extraction of the individual is i think that probably the the core thing that you would it's the thing that <laughs> it rem removing you from the concept of food is what this is essentially yeah, which that. is which don't is why that. you can't really no, no, that's why yeah. i don't like it and there's a part the of me more of these things that i'm going to turn up to my own work one day and there'll be 19 of these things on the side i was gonna like, but i was gonna say i i kind of want this steak to taste like shit to you it so will that, so that you I can, can smell that it tastes awful so that already. you can so that you can at least have that validation moment of right at least i've 
I've seen the future and the future's a knobhead. The, yeah, the future's out to get us all. Yeah, no, it's, it's, this is not taken away from anything in, in your world at all. It's, um, I think the, these things would need to be a world away from where they are to be. But I, I do think, again, though, that when we talk about process, even people cooking at home, mm. I think we're now moving into this newer generation who use the internet way more and I don't know use gadgets and stuff and and I just think I've never known a world where you look at everybody or lots of people between the age of 20 and 25 now and they simply don't know how to cook yeah and that's, that really that's, fucks me up that's terrifying yeah like you, there was, people I, don't I, know how to make pasta I saw an article in the Yorkshire Evening Post and it was like this you know God bless her, this, this lass that she was having trouble with, um, I think it was she had an obese child, and it, but it was coming off the back of just she can't cook for the child, so she's relying on these convenience options, and yada yada yada, before you know it, it's a problem, but it's, it, it stems from, as you say, it's that disconnect of people actually being able to cook. Yeah, and kind of not knowing... Was that something you got from your family or was that just you picked up in the kitchens from that first job? No, I think hanging out, like growing up, I was really lucky to have a family that tea time was really important and it didn't matter what was going on in the day, 6, 6.30, we'd all sit down for dinner okay. and talk about the day and that, that was really important in our house and I think growing up, uh, my mum listened to a lot of uh, UB40 and... Tambor Motown and a lot of Scar and so for me as a kid obviously that sort of music's really joyful so I spent a lot of time in the kitchen. My mum used to bake loads. We never had any like fizzy pop or sweets like chocolate bars or anything in the kitchen so any of the sweet stuff was always cooked by my mum. So for me the music element was fun to watch because I could dance around the kitchen when I was a little kid. Yeah. And then obviously when you're a little kid, the best thing about anyone baking is the stuff that's at the bottom of the bowl, <laughs> which you get to then eat out with a spoon or, or use your fingers and eat out of the bowl. And and then sort of having that in my life sort of just instilled it in me growing up. As soon as I was old enough to be able to like make a sandwich in a kitchen and my mum and dad let me, I would make a sandwich. And then as you get a bit older, you know, mum would then let you put some stuff in the oven or, you know, and then I think probably when I was like 12 or 13, I could make pasta and I could make, yeah, you know, and I think that's gone. That seems to have disappeared from people and people get to like their mid 20s now and they, they don't know how to make pasta and they don't know how to. And that's wild, like, <laughs> because it it's not difficult. And I, I'm a I'm a sucker for takeaways, right? I eat a lot of takeaways. And I'm going to blame it on my job, but it isn't my job. It's the fact that I really enjoy eating takeaways. <laughs> um, but the options that people have now, yeah, on apps, it's just so. It's, the apps have just killed. The it. point is, it's just so everything is convenient, yeah. and I think people sometimes um, see cooking as an inconvenience. Yeah, and that's a shame. I think that's the spot that I've fallen into with my life. Um, I think as, as much as because of this whole work from home reality that we've got now as well. So like I'm sat here working all day and I, I, I don't know, I've just, I've fallen out of love with food maybe. I think that's what it is. A, a lot of it as well though is to do with when I was, I used to be vegan back in the day. Get me off. <laughs> 
Uh, when I was vegan, I, I could easily spend like an hour in the kitchen, hour plus cooking up whatever it would be, the huge, most elaborate meal you can imagine. And I'd do that basically every day. And I think um, I've changed my dietary habits now. I'm much more about sort of meat and eggs and just basics. And with those things, I've found that it is just like very much just fry a steak in a pan, that's your meal, you've done it. There's, <laughs> you've kind of removed a lot of the sort of the, um, the exploratory fun elements. Like every time I cooked my stir fries, it'd be a different thing. It'd be like, this time I'm gonna see what happens if I put like a whole bunch of turmeric over in the mix and just playing with these flavors and spices. I'm gonna see what happens if I put an ex a little bit extra salt in yeah. this time. And just those, those things that you try, it's like um, a lot of mistakes that you find along the way and just seeing. 100%. But even, even the, the minutia of realizing how little the flavor of cheese carries sometimes. Like with a, say, a, uh, a grated Parmesan and you chuck a whole bunch in with a stir fry and you just realize that just didn't carry in the meal at all. So that, you know, it's it's just certain things you just don't do then. Yeah, it's and it's just understanding. I just, yeah. I don't know, like, I think that's the other thing as well. It's uh, one thing, again, I think it's because my parents are both very Yorkshire. Where, like, when we used to go on holiday, we used to do like half board holidays. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So you get your little breco in the in the hospital uh, in the hotel or whatever. But then everything else was like self catered. And I think people go on holiday now, and they tend to go on all inclusive, yeah. which I get. I get hundred percent. But when you're in anywhere in the Mediterranean, man, go and do a fucking holiday that's half board. Go and get that breakfast in your first thing during the day. But then please go around the shops, go around the markets, go around. And my word, like if you're staying somewhere nice and you've got a barbecue and you go and buy some bloody fish, man, and stick it on a barbecue and just have a nice time with it. Because yeah. what that does is it, it opens your mind to an awful lot of stuff and it opens your mind to eating differently. And, and I think in the UK, we're, we're a mini America in the way that we eat. We're getting and that if, way, yeah, yeah. If you go out to the Mediterranean the way those people eat and people go how the fuck do people live to 120 in Italy well look at what they eat you go out to rural Italy and nothing's processed everything's fresh man when you go on holiday don't eat chicken and chips don't yeah. you know and as you say it's like with the uh, do drink holiday bottled Fanta in the glass bottles because it's beautiful <laughs> better than the fun that we have here but in terms but of when you have like those as you're saying those kids that like just have that the 14 year olds that have the connection to just the gr the ground and knowing the connection of all of these products in was it uh, in australia yeah and it's just that thing of if you've got that awareness then suddenly you, you're probably going to be all the less inclined to fall towards the the processed crap for knowing that oh, nonsense 100%, yeah 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 i mean there are places like your maccas and all that sort of stuff's always going to be there it's always again that's something now that's too big yeah. to ever go back from yeah yeah and a mcdonald's double cheeseburger serves a purpose and it's okay sometimes but there's there's now a people just go right okay well it, it's easy and we can get it right now and i just think you know it's people busy their lives so much that we stop to think about the things that are good for us in that way and I, I really feel like cooking at home is really important for people and um, it means you know what you're putting in your body and it's good and mm. there's people I know people that go to the gym six times a week right but they will eat Subway twice a week and they'll eat McDonald's twice a week 
you're like, right, so yeah. within what you're doing, you go in the gym and I get it and you're trying to look after your body, but really the fundamentals before you go to the gym, I don't go to the gym. Yeah. I don't think I'll ever go to the gym. It freaks me out. Um, <laughs> think about the fundamentals, think about your nutrition and think about, you know, people have this whole thing about calories and ex basically calories in and expendable energy. If you don't do enough and you eat loads of shit, you're going to be unhealthy and it's, you know, it's going to shorten your life and it's going to, if you go to the gym all the time and then you go out drinking all the time and you eat loads of shit, there's no point. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Cook at home, have a nice time. Yeah. And I think that's Make why. Make an omelette. I think that's why I kind of try and get out to, uh, to, to crowd a favours for yourself as well though. For me, it's the inverse of just, I want to be able to appreciate a very fucking well cooked meal and just like, for me, if I was to do, it's that, it's that, um, there's a joke doing the rounds. It's the, um, paying, why would you pay, um, a ramen restaurant $15 for, for this when I can spend 25 on the ingredients myself and make a worse version of it. It's, uh, it's just, so it's, if I was to do the Sunday roast, fuck me, the, the, it would be a mission beforehand. It would be a mission during and a mission afterwards. And just that I don't get to appreciate that level of for the sake of just not being able to you know just coordinate three separate three or four separate veg yeah. two types of potato in the mix you've got a decent meat there <laughs> i'm having meat our last is a vegetarian so i've got to deal with it. it's like if i ever cook for both of us it's like we're both eating vegetarian so it's it's just a very nice way to experience just that after being the takeaway guy and the the silly metal black box guy that's uh, not really expanding his culinary horizons at home. I think it's the range of independent spots we've got in Leeds at the moment, like gives literally just anything for anyone. And I think when I saw that, uh, the Turkish grill spot that's uh, just over from you, Saffron, yeah, yeah. Um, what drew me into uh, that was that, yes, it's like you say, Turkish grill meat, a grill house type spot. And you, you know, you, as a British person, you just sort of, you picture a spot. And that isn't what I pictured when I saw that place. Yeah. When you see that place, you think that's somewhere I want to go in. It's like, have you seen Mogador just on? Um, Wonderful spot. Yeah, yeah. On, I mean, uh, it looks quirky as fuck from the outside, but yeah, yeah. But the it's, food there's banging. The food is fucking fantastic. I eat there on the reg, and I've, I've been in there once or twice. It's fantastic in there. It's um, just those little spots that it's fantastic knowing that we've got these places that we can just go to and. You know, it's, we're gonna we're gonna get a fantastic experience, and I do think people need to branch out a little bit more. I feel like uh, having lived in London for six years, when you go to London, man, like I lived out east, I lived in Dalston and Stoke Newington for quite a while, mm. and within Dalston and Stoke Newington, there is pretty much every cuisine you could possibly imagine. But there's, you know, you, all your Turkish grill places there. Go on then, air fryer gear. Smells like meat. <laughs> Unsalted, unbartered. It's not bad, you know. It was a decent medium rare on that. It was uh, 200C, five minutes each side. I mean, it's not bad, Steve. I'm not. <laughs> it's definitely not bad. Yeah. I've taken to it. Uh, and I wouldn't have. I wouldn't be putting it in front of you if I didn't think that. Um, it wasn't shit, but that's actually the best one I've done so far. <laughs> I mean, it's all right. It's okay. 
But I think my 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 uh, my issue with this sort of stuff is not. It's the, the extraction of the person from the process. Yeah, you're just removing something. Yeah, and I think there's a whole lot of. There's a. And I might sound like a bit of a bellentier, but it's the same as when like people now in the morning will go and buy coffee from Starbucks. Fuck, man, buy yourself a beautiful cafetiere. Yeah. Little French press. Go to your local coffee house. Buy fresh coffee. Yeah. No, press was, press your was, own uh, coffee in the morning. It, it was Nicole that introduced me to the French press, and I've been just firmly on that shit since. If you're somebody that drinks morning. black coffee or you like... If you like your lattes and your cappuccinos, man, invest in one of those. You can buy the little milk steamers now anyway can't yeah, you like yeah. that are independent from a machine but just those things just those processes that i think you used to watch films in like from like the 1930s and everyone used to get up and make coffee and and we don't do that anymore like we stumble out of bed we rush out of the house and we go to a starbucks drive through or we go to Pret or we go to and i mean there's a lot of good independent coffee houses in the oh city, yeah yeah but shout out to lanes shout out to stage espresso yeah yeah good good lads I mean if knock out a nice Cortado as well but give yourself a little bit more time and just get up in the morning and do it yourself yeah. and doing little bits and pieces like that I really feel like just set you up in a different way and make you feel a little bit differently about stuff it then becomes like it almost becomes it feels less routine you know you get up and you're going to have you could have two or three different coffees in the yeah. um, coffees in the cupboard so you go well, it's Sunday and I'm not going to work, so we'll have this this morning. You know, it's a bit, a bit more of a. It's gonna, you know, but it just and press that coffee and get it in there, get it brewing, and go and have a shower. And by the time you get back down, you've got this perfectly beautifully brewed coffee. That's an interesting way of phrasing it, though, because it's like it is in literal terms. It is a routine that you're putting in, but like for what it is, it feels separate from that. It's like it's. A not practice you, you you fall into like almost sounding pretentious with it but like uh it is it's part of your process it's part of the it's part of the going into the day doing the coffee it's like for me i know that like every morning go down to the uh, my little coffee area kind of grind the beans you kind of i've got everything else that put into the mix there and uh it's a real process but it's like it's and it's a routine it's part of my routine in quote marks but it's like it's it's also something that feels like it's grounding in a way, you know? It's Man, it stimulates you, wakes yeah, your mind a yeah. bit. It's instead of going standing in the queue with your AirPods in, just looking at your phone going, I'll have one of them and then you wait. You're doing something, you're stimulating yourself by doing an activity. Yeah. And you know, and there's a different smell that comes off your coffee machine or out of the French press than it does when you stood in Pet or you stood in Starbucks. There's a different feeling and you know, it's there's certain coffee shops where you go and you know there'll be 10 people waiting and you feel rushed and you I think it's more about just taking more time for yourself within the confines of possibly your own home yeah like get up a little bit earlier man like I you know I don't ever understand why people are late as somebody <laughs> that's quite punctual because just be a bit you know like if you're supposed to be somewhere aim to be there half an hour before or and you, if you're somebody that isn't punctual it will stress you out yeah time is it yeah, like yeah. i'm quite a placid guy and i'm quite calm and i'm quite chill the one thing that really stresses me out is time not being on time really stresses me out yeah. and quite often it is i have a in my head if i'm supposed to be meeting someone or going to work it stresses me out because then i feel like i'm going to burden somebody else 
So being on time for me is really important. Being early is really important. No, and I was lush you were bang on six arriving tonight. <laughs> and I do think if you do that and you just take a little bit more time and you get up early or you go somewhere earlier, man, you, you tend to take in more of your surrounding. Yeah. Don't turn up someone when you're supposed to. If you get there 10 minutes early, you have a look around and you, you know, you meet a mate in a restaurant, you have a look around the restaurant, you take in a bit more and you understand a little bit more. Yeah. If you get there five minutes later or on time, you go, oh, right, I'm here, right, let's do this. And part of the experience has gone yeah. immediately within the first 10 minutes of you being in the building yeah. has gone. Why? Because you set off 15 minutes later than you should have. Just And it's the same in the morning. Get up a little bit earlier. Take some time for yourself, man. Yeah. Have a five-minute longer shower while your coffee is brewing. I don't want to stand in a fucking queue in a Starbucks with people looking miserable <laughs> on their phones watching the disastrous news that's going on around us every day. Take the time at home. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's one of those things that we all, I guess, need to kind of find that, taking the more time in our lives to just connect with things. Yeah. Yeah. Just realise we got to an hour and twenty into this thing, and we haven't really talked on what it is you do. Schnitt faced kitchen. Is it snitch faced? Snitch faced. Sh- fucking stumble on this every <laughs> fucking time. Schnitt faced. Schnitt faced. Ki- is it Schnitt faced kitchen? No, just, so just Schnitt faced. So uh, Schnitt faced was born of an idea when I was two years into living in London. Um, the street food scene was pretty massive there, and. So growing up goes 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 back a little bit to my mum cooking when I was a kid. So my dad is half Austrian. Okay. And when I was a kid, we used to summer. Well, that sounds well, then doesn't it? We used to summer in Austria. <laughs> we used to summer in my <laughs> my one of my aunties lived in Austria. So for summer holidays, because my dad's cheap, we used to go to Austria because it was free accommodation. Yeah. And we used to go and hang out and ate loads of schnitzels when I was a kid. And then growing up, my mum made a load of schnitzels. Which are? So it tends to be breaded meat. Traditionally, it's pork. Um, it's an Austro-Hungarian dish. So it's tenderised. You tend to get things like pork chops, or you get chicken breasts, or you can use thighs. You can even use beef. A lot of people now, if you go to bougie restaurants, will use veal. Uh, okay. You tenderise them, you flatten them out, and then you breadcrumb in whatever. Panko is the way for me. Yeah. Um, Get a load of herbs into your breadcrumbs and cheese if you fucking want to do it properly. Um, and schnitzels have always kind of been in my life. And then I went to, when I went to Australia, I worked in Melbourne for about six months. And across the road from where I worked was a place called Schnitz. And my boss at the time, who was half Ukrainian and half Australian, his, basically, long story short, his some of his family was from the same part as my dad's family in Austria. Oh, nice. So he grew up eating schnitzels as well. Yeah. And I'd been working there for like two months, and he was like, mate, I've got to take you to this place. So he went to Schnitz, and we went in there, and it was essentially like Subway, but for schnitzel sandwiches. Yeah. And I was like, this is fucking <laughs> awesome. Uh, and I ended up going every day, every day there for probably three months, and I tried every possible <laughs> augmentation and 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 combination of schnitzel became a sandwich. schnitz connoisseur yeah and i really really fucking loved it and then when i moved back to the uk i sort of had a look around and there was nobody really doing schnitzels you were seeing schnitzels on like um not fine dining but those sort of higher end restaurants so they were doing like veal schnitzels and but there was no like middle lane someone just doing schnitzels for yeah. people to like they didn't exist and to me i was like right so 
doing a chicken schnitzel here should be a thing because it's a like if you do a veal schnitzel in a sandwich it's just a really nice chicken burger so schnitface was born in london and i did a few pop-ups um as schnitface doing schnitzel sandwiches uh and kind of the name stuck yeah and then when i moved back here i did a few pop-ups with schnitface as well and then i've just not changed the name i think for the last year and a half i haven't done loads of schnitzels i mean they've always <laughs> been on the menu but i'm yeah. cooking different stuff but um food and menus for me is more about nostalgia and affordability than anything else yeah food has to make me feel something when i eat it i want it to remind me of a holiday or the seaside or uh being in year three or you know and i think there's a way you can do that and adult it at the same time yeah it doesn't have to be like shit school dinners like you can make food remind you of stuff without it being rubbish yeah um and I think that's kind of the the notion of Schnitface and has always been. The schnitzels were nostalgic to me, so that nostalgia's carried through the business. Okay, because I, I was literally leaning towards, do you reckon you might maybe potentially go in a rebrand, go with a new name, but it feels like it's, it is kind of at the core of who you are. Yeah, I mean, I think, so as I said... Even if it is not on the menu, as you no, say. No, like me and Leng Libation, aka Sam Greedy, are doing... We're creating a new pop-up concept, which, in essence... Saber? Fable. Fable. Shit. That's all right. We've not started yet. If you get that wrong once we've started that... No. I got it now. Uh, so I think it's just one of those things. It's like there's an element to Schnittface, which is a lot of fun. And it's nice. And it's, you know, I will never want to give that up. Because okay. that's a part of cooking that does me the pop-ups and I can do festivals and, and it's just fun. And I reckon I haven't done any merch yet. If you want any, let me know and I'll do it. Uh, I reckon Schnittface would look great on a t-shirt and it's just nice yes. and it's just... it's Red a very, print, white shirt. Yeah, it's just very carefree. Kind of like that. We could do it. Could, anyway. Uh, <laughs> we'll do a collab, collab shirt. And I just think it's it's just nice and it's just fun. But So you've seen basically... You're kind of a free agent right now, yeah. and it's Schnittfaced is one thing that you're doing, and you're open to whatever else is coming your way. Fable's going to be potentially. Can you give anything in that respect? Is it going to be food? Is it drink? Is it both? Is it so going to be experience? Is it going to be? It is the. It's so Sam and I both have uh, a very similar ideology on hospitality, and that hospitality is an experience. Yeah. From the moment you walk in that door to the moment you leave. You don't have to worry about anything. We're here for you. That's it. That's and we want to within what we're doing. We want to create that, and that comes as far as the food and the drink. I think we, just quickly, if folk want to check out uh, Lang Libation, so it's Lang dot Libation on Instagram. Um, it's just, his account is packed full of. Uh, did the passion just oozes out of that fella? He does fantastic stuff. He's an unbelievable human being. Yeah, yeah. and his knowledge for beverages is unreal working with him when doing pairing menus together is a lot of fun because <laughs> we can sit in a room and and you know bounce a thousand ideas off each other and i think we're it's probably been a while in coming because we did a lot of pop-ups last year at house coco together and just off the back of that we've gone okay but i think now so like leng libation for him is the fun if you look at his instagram there's a lot of like really fun goofy drinks made and he does a lot of videos wearing some of the most insane attire you've ever seen in your life um and i think fable for us is 
a step where we're looking at what people have done with pop-ups and we're ready we want to take this now to a slightly higher level okay and it will be a test for both sam and i in terms of for me for my cooking i'm going to put my cooking probably back to where i was cooking 15 years ago in some of these better restaurants but i want to keep that in the same vein that i have with Schnittface, where this is affordable mm. and this is uh, i want to put dishes in front of you that you're going to go fuck me i could be paying 25 pound a course for that but we're not going to do that to you we're going to pair this up and we're going to give you some entertainment while you're eating and drinking you're going to come to us and, and walk away and it's going to be a show and a dinner and a drink in a it's a night out yeah. and i think that's something that again people go and eat for convenience you go to a restaurant it's an hour and a half and you're off even at pop-ups now it's two hours and you're gone yeah you come to me or you come to fable you're in for the night you don't have a choice we're locking the doors you're not fucking going anywhere <laughs> but we want we just want to create that thing where people are paying for something and they come in and they go wow and they leave and go what a nice night that was and i think for me and sam it's always been really important that or really nice if you get a table 10 tables in a room of strangers and a lot of those people go away having had a chat yeah yeah that for me is it we know we've done our job as, as a hospitality experience if we set up a room of 50 strangers and by the time they leave they've had a drink together and they've talked about what's happened in the evening and talked about and I, I, I think Harry might have mentioned something on this with regards to the cookouts you guys are doing because it was Lang was involved uh, Sam was involved in that as well wasn't he yeah 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 it's just I think this is the thing I think a lot of the time again pop-ups I think by certain chefs are done for ego and I think sometimes that's okay. I think, you know, if you are working somewhere and you're working your bollocks off and you do a pop-up, you do want to cook exactly what you want to cook. Yeah, it's almost you a do. pressure release of sorts. But in the same respect to you, you know, especially now more than ever, you're commanding a lot of money off people. Yeah. And I think sometimes in hospitality, people forget we're in the service industry. I'm not here to, like, tell people how and what and why. That's up to them. Mm. And they're going to spend their money in some capacity. So I would like to give them the opportunity to come to something where from the moment they arrive with us to the moment they leave, they don't have to worry about a thing. Everything is looked after. Everything is good. It's a full service experience. There's entertainment as well. It's Entertainment makes it sound a bit like Butlins. <laughs> Definitely not that, although Butlins is great. Um, it's just something that I don't, see happening a lot in the north of England at the moment yeah. especially in terms of pop-ups yeah so me and Sam are gonna do our version of that and I think it's a little bit more serious for both him and I in terms of we want to we want to grow this into sort of rolling it out into different cities and and slightly quirkier venues and and sort of twist it up a little bit and just yeah. offer some stuff that isn't out there and the only way we're going to know if it works is by trying it exactly so it might not work and if it doesn't work that's okay and we will we'll try something different but it's a project that outside of Schnittface I'm super excited about amazing and Schnittface just to double down on it currently based out of Crowd of Favours yeah um, through the, in there through the week uh, it's five days a week it's six days a week Tuesdays to Sunday uh, I think that's going to stay that way probably until next winter now. I was going to say how long are you looking to be there? So. Well, Crowded, Crowd is owned by Cameron's, so I just rent the kitchen from Cameron's. Cameron's 
a group. What, I think so. What do they do? I, I don't Cameron's know. did own Leeds Brewery until about a month ago. <laughs> oh, okay. And they've sold off a load of it to Kirkstall Brewery. Because I only knew of um, Crowders as part of the Leeds Brewery Connect. And... Which is owned by Cameron's. Okay. I but didn't now go that it high up. Yeah. But now it isn't. Yeah. So I don't know. Maybe they're going to sell everything. Yeah. Well, we'll see. But yeah, for now, based crowd of favours. Yeah, uh, for the foreseeable. I left last summer because it got really, really quiet really, really quickly in April. But like you were saying, though, it's... I don't know if you said it earlier in this or before when we were talking that um, it feels like this summer, this year, is it's going to come back around for hospitality. Yeah. Um, I've been speaking to a lot of people and, and across the board, it's the, like, what the fuck is happening? People just aren't going out. It feels like this is when it's gonna. We're gonna turn this corner now. That like the complacency, the lockdown ended, the whole pandemic thing kind of left us. But there was a complacency that lingered uh, off the back of us just being in our homes. We've got the apps, as you say. It's so easy to just order a takeaway, and it's almost like if you've ordered a takeaway that week, then it kind of puts you off from going out then. So the convenience of being stuck at home in these silly ways that we've picked up on and learned through lockdown, it's going to further kind of keep us in our homes, but it almost feels like people have broken out of that now and they've realized they need to get out more. And it's, we're just waiting for the weather now, I think. It, it yeah. feels, once, once the sunshine creeps out, once we get to like uh, April, May, it feel, genuinely feels like this is going to be when things kind of return to hospitality. The floodgates will open. And we'll I will see. be ready. And I think, as I think as well, it's a weird one to talk on, but like, it feels like the cost of living crisis that we're all globally enduring. Um, people are kind of accepting that they're going to have to pay more. I saw, is it Cafe One Six Four? They put a post out literally today saying that um, it was a very unapologetic. It was the prices. Life, the, the cost of life is going up, our prices are going up, that's just the way it's got to be. And it's, it's a strange one to see that because you kind of, you fully, you sign on for it because it's like that's, yeah, we, everyone understands that. Yeah. But to crack that one if you fancy it. Um, I need a wee first. But. It, we'll, we'll just go have a piss after this point, but it feels <laughs> like you couldn't have really said that a year ago though. I think there were people that did. And they were sh possibly shunned for the, you know... I, it was too soon to be saying that. So we will get into the point of influencers and bloggers, hopefully at some point during this conversation. But there was a lot... Of, there's a lot of bloggers when all the inflation started happening for businesses. Yeah. And businesses were creeping up menu prices, but not, not even to, to the nth degree of where the inflation on their base product was going. So they were eking their menus up 5%. Ah, uh, okay, yeah. And their produce has gone up 30%. So there's a, there's, a, there's a balance there for them. They can't stick 30% on the menus because as a business, you know that's absurd. Yeah. And people won't pay that. But then people were sticking 5% on and there was certain... I probably will name them, especially after another beer. Um, certain bloggers in the city saying the quality's diminished and this is happening and the menu prices have gone up and you go, okay, all of these businesses have never been in this position before and we're all just trying to cope. Yeah. And I think there was a lot of, there was probably pioneers of going, look, we've got to do, but I think it was a case of do or die and if we don't do it, we're not going to have a business. Yeah. And the people that did it early were probably quite smart 
um, because I think the later you sort of start to leave that sort of stuff mm. I put my menu prices up at the end of October last year and it pained me to do so yeah. um, because I do pride myself on affordability but then at the same time I have a life and I need to live and I also need to eat and I have bills to pay so that there's levels of affordability and I, I kind of think it's I don't think anything that I'm doing now is unaffordable to people and I think people just have to respect that when you now go and look at a 10% increase on a menu that business is, is definitely taking more than 10% increase on all its products so yeah. what it's now having to do is rework menus lower hours of staff in the kitchen so there's a, there's a huge impact that it's having back a house mm. that your average consumer just won't see. So unless businesses come out and go, boom, there's your 30%, you like it or you fuck off, then people really don't have a massive amount of room to complain about the price increases. And as you said, I think people are becoming more yeah. understanding it, 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 of it. It's accepted now, I think. Um, but as we say, you need to have a piss break. I do. You know those like home cook sets that you can get like hello fresh and all of those how do you view those or how would it is there like an industry perspective or you personally or because it feels obviously it's there's there is that connection it's it's a bridge almost to people having a finer appreciation of the process but it could also be seen as they if they're spending that there they could be spending it there i think in practice they're a wonderful idea my question comes where stuff is sourced by companies like HelloFresh. Okay. There's a big sort of push, HelloFresh, right? But they are using the same farms as the supermarkets there. So, you know, it's that sort of whole reality that a company like HelloFresh is only going to be certain levels of fresh when you're trying to push things out to hundreds of thousands of people. Yeah. When you go into that scale, I guess it's uh, there's the <laughs> the bottom lines on it. If you can shave a penny off your peas, then right. Um, in practice, I think the idea of it is brilliant. Yeah. Just to give people that sort of elevation into. But then, for me, we live in a world of the internet. Go on Google. If you want to cook something, yeah. Why do you need HelloFresh to send you twelve recipes? If you're sat in your house and you go, hmm. I'd really like to eat this today. Yeah. Go on Google. Google is wonderful. BBC Good Food. Yeah. I have sworn by for a lot of years and I've said to chefs world apart when they say, I want to learn to cook something, go on BBC Good Food because it's, I know that James Martin was heavily involved in BBC Good Food when it started. Um, Yorkshire lad. Unbelievable chef. And it, it, it basically brings, it's kind and of like recipes that you would learn at college. <laughs> And it's, it's just real real basic and stripped back, the idea of how to make something in its most simple form. Yeah. And that's a good way to learn to cook. And then within that, if you cook that one singular recipe, it goes in and you've got it. And then you can start to, if you want to jazz that recipe up. Or So I think for me, in practice, HelloFresh is great. Question the produce. Yeah. And I also- no, it's, a, it's a great aspect. I hadn't even considered that. Mm. But I mean, I, that is one of those things that people just don't think on these areas of things. It's, yeah. It, because it's easy. Yeah, yeah. And, Hello that, fr and a, when a HelloFresh meets the big black box and it's like just, it's almost there. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if HelloFresh, that is their next role in what they're doing is they'll go, right, we'll do a specific 
air fryer friendly type things. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So all these things, all this commerce moves together and you'll slowly see it come together. It's, you know, it's kind of patented like these. It's almost like the air fryer guys and the, the HelloFresh guys are 10 steps in front of us. And all these things will amalgamate yeah. at one point. And to me, it's putting the consumer in, in sort of the area they want you to be in. I feel like the big boys of supermarkets don't want your butchers and your bakers and your fishmongers. And a way to get rid of those people is to introduce things like hello fresh by saying you can get why would you go to your butcher when you can get all this from us yeah. delivered to your door you don't even need to go out but then again you even further removed from the process you're not now in a supermarket choosing the chicken you want off the shelf because yeah. it just gets delivered to your house so another step's gone that's one of those things as well where it's um i can't i can't do uh, internet shopping, like just buying your food over the internet, the internet grocery orders. I need to see my produce. I've, co-op have recently started, they've taken the sell-by date off the, uh, some of their veg, which I can see there's a certain aspect which is beneficial, but it's also, I kind of need to see that I'm getting a good sell-by date. I need to s s look at the, the actual pieces, see what I'm buying, you know, it's... Yeah, you can't just pick a thing, <laughs> pick a thing blind, or just you know, just a steak that go, going in earlier and just like sort of the. the I I had to, I genuinely noticed this because just around the corner from crowd, there's a co-op, and I went around there to get some rocket the other mm. day. I'd run out of rocket, so I went around to get some rocket, and there's no sell by date on the rocket, and that for me is in kitchens where it's kind of triggering for me. It's sort of like I confused, yeah, yeah, because then you don't know whether that you know. Then there's certain things that I think there's a lot of secrets within supermarkets where they do bulk buy a lot of food and freeze food yeah so like your fresh pizzas that you get in the co-op that come in the boxes and they're fresh mm. but they also say on the back back of the box do not freeze but that essentially should say do not refreeze because <laughs> yeah. these fresh pizzas have been frozen held in bulk yeah and then are drip fed into the supermarket as fresh and it says do not freeze because it's already been frozen. And if yeah. you refreeze fresh dough twice, then when you cook it, it will just go to shit. So it, it, again, there's that that level where people go, oh, these are fresh pizzas. They're not. They never have, or they were at some point in their life. Yeah, they were before they were and frozen. And then they have been frozen and now they're out on the shelf marketing themselves as fresh pizza. It's essentially like buying a San Marco pizza or a Chicago town and just letting it defrost on your side yeah. and calling that a fresh pizza. So. Supermarkets are man. <laughs> They're horrible. Yeah. I mean, you were, you were saying earlier about the, the, the bloggers and the influencers and the foodie types online. There, there is, I get you that there is like sort of the, the dicks of the scene, but there are actually quite a few that are like doing very good things as well. They, they just literally just bounce around and take photos of, they, it's, you know, like the, the kind of like weekend warrior Instagram influencer types, where it's they've got a they've got a nine to five job, but then on the weekends they go out to some fancy restaurants and take photos and hype up sort of places that they've wanted to go to, they could afford to go to, and checked out. It all it really does feel like there's the, the two worlds of these sort of the the influence. It's a horrible thing to say, but like the food influence or the, the food accounts online. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it, it, yeah. There are the arseholes that maybe they're kind of looking to kind of create an edgy journalistic character or brand persona or some such nonsense out of like an Instagram account. Um, and they're going to like just talk shit on El Faro for whatever reason. You couldn't talk shit on El Faro, they're the gods. But like 
they they might try and do that edgy shit just to kind of create a persona for themselves, or like uh, like the the Leeds Live type accounts. Uh, these these um, these local sort of news sites that have cropped up recently. Sure. Well, yeah. When they they just we went to we went to the latest this place, and our our person wasn't impressed. It's, we've seen so many of these articles recently where they're just essentially hit pieces for the sake of just clickbaiting you into an article to see yeah. what they hated about the place. The Yorkshire Evening Post is probably the worst for that, I think, at the moment, which is a shame because the Yorkshire Evening Post, when I was growing up, was well, a it was great, a legacy. It's, it was a great, great. It was the clock tower. It was the building. Yeah. It was. Um, but I, I do. I think food accounts now. There's um, there's also a real pressure on independent businesses now to to get influencers to come in and I think since I went into crowd of favors I made a real strong point of not inviting influencers and not I'm still this idiot that thinks I can probably put a menu out and run a kitchen somewhere and not need to use the internet to get people through the door which I've found is not the case but I, I really feel you can direct that through your own social media accounts and you perhaps Somebody with 15,000 followers essentially doesn't really mean that much on the internet because you can buy followers and you can... And genuinely, I want people to come in and eat food with me that appreciate food. And there's a, a whole argument of style over substance for me with a lot of these influencers and bloggers. and They don't know what they're talking about when it comes to food. If somebody comes to eat with me and they can't cook, then really, their their opinion on food is, I'm not saying it's null and void and it doesn't matter. Have you seen that that new film, the one everyone's talking about, the the menu? No, so no spoilers. But I'm going to right. watch it in the next couple of days. Well, on that point, you will love it, and I'll say no more. But yeah, interesting film. Um, and when you've talked on, we're going to just bring people in for Fable, bring them in, lock the door. It's an experience. Watch the film; it's fun. There's there's one group of bloggers that Sam and I have used called Team Red Bricky. Team Red Bricky. Yeah. Is um, that on Instagram? On Instagram. One word? I think I can probably find it for you. I think there's a little underscore, but yeah. they're a couple. They're absolutely awesome, and they come in and they've. I don't even know their background. Probably I don't know if they've worked in hospitality, but just when they write about food they talk about flavor and they talk about what's on the plate and they talk about the elements and they talk and yeah. it's the same with drinks and i i see a lot of influencer reviews now and they go the food was yum <laughs> awesome do you know what i mean like yeah, yeah. i could get a six-year-old to come and write the food was yum like <laughs> i was do you know what i we had um the the the, uh, the mash the garlic mash side that you do on the sunday roasts a few weeks back Fuck me! It was just a competition of what we what was popping off first. It was just like salting a a, a mash first of all, and it was like just that you were getting that salt through, and it was just realizing, yeah, maybe we should be adding salt to more things. And but the garlic elements were really fucking popped. Oh, we don't mess about with garlic. Yeah, in yeah, the that was. Yeah, yeah. Don't be don't, be, go, to, don't just, be going on dates and eating garlic mash, man. That's nah, a, I just wanted to show off by talking about flavor elements for your dishes <laughs> there for a sec, but. Uh, but then I also think with the with the the bloggers and the influencers, you then see I, there's bloggers that started two or three years ago when I first moved back to Leeds, who are now have big followings and stuff. It's the same ten places they go. <laughs> it's the same. It's the same shit. It's the same ads. It's the same. 
brilliant if if you are genuine and you are a genuine food blogger yeah and you are someone that's genuinely interested in food and writing about food go out off your own back man don't get invited to restaurants just turn up to restaurants and go and eat and write a genuine honest review about what you think about the food and the service and talk about the value for money and talk about the things that people genuinely give a fuck about if you write a review of something that i put out on a plate and you say that was yum and it was seven out of ten the fuck do you even start with that like where do you begin what was what was yum about it why is that only a seven out of ten like if i read a review not even from a chef's perspective just if someone leaves a review and is reviewing a place as an influencer put some detail in tell people what you like tell people when people go out to eat they want different things out of a dining experience i think as well some people will just go because they want the food they're not asked about service and not asked about cocktails or but some people want to go out they want to have an experience where from the moment they walk in so if you're writing about food and writing about a restaurant if you're not including all of those details of the restaurant are you really doing a proper review no you're now starting to turn up to places because you've been invited and you're taking five of your mates and you're going and eating a load of food for free on an independent business and you're probably not going to go back there until you get invited back to do another review which will be in three months time and those 15 businesses circulate on these influences pages yeah all the time and i said oh it was so great (laughs) what was great what was bad it's also okay to be not brutally honest in a review but yeah, if there was yeah. something that wasn't so good that's all Do you also, know what that's I, okay to write about and be I, honest about it i went i went to a comedy gig one time and um it was when i was trying to get a bit more into like putting out some written work maybe try for a job as a writer it didn't actually happen but um i put out this review of a comedy gig and it wasn't the most positive across the board but generally it's you know it's a great night it's uh, the leeds comedy review no fuck i can't remember leeds comedy project I think it was but um the guy that ran the night got in touch and he was like look i know it wasn't you weren't totally kind of cool with what we were doing that night but all all of the acts but i loved the honesty and i loved that you had an opinion and did you want to meet up and maybe talk about i think you should do more of this sort of stuff like i liked the honesty of it and it was we met up then and it was this fantastic back and forth of like the individual that had been critiqued didn't give a fuck about like what I was like the the negatives of it wasn't like I need to convince you you were wrong it was I loved that you said it in that way and your opinion your your voice needs to be out there more on these 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 this ballpark of content and it was a fantastic thing to get that level of feedback but it's that again you say it's like you can't just go to a comedy night and say it was brilliant everything was hilarious it was funny yeah seven out of ten I right, didn't. Sounds. I didn't. I didn't like that act, but this <laughs> act was brilliant, and it's seven out of ten. Yeah, but it's it, you need to kind of give something. Otherwise, what the fuck are you doing? When you're writing about it, it's a relatability as well. You know, I know for a fact that there's going to be people that walk into wherever I'm cooking or whatever that are not going to like what I'm doing. Mm. That's okay. I'm not too sensitive, or you know, my ego is not in a place with food where I go. If you don't like it, I'm broken or I'm really pissed off. My food isn't for everybody, and I understand that. On when people now, influencers and bloggers, are writing stuff online, it's like these things are written for everybody. It's not going to be for everybody. You have to sort of define yourself and say, this is my stance and this is my set of principles and morals around food and restaurants and service, and this is what I expect. 
So that is what I'm grading everything on. Mm. And if somebody likes your articles, they'll read them. And if they don't like the way you write or they don't like your articles, they won't read them. Yeah. But that's all right. And the, there's this whole, it, it has to be, or we have to cover every base. Fuck covering every base. If every restaurant in the world covered every base, we'd live in a really odd world and it would be shite and all the food would be really average. And so it's the same when you're writing about stuff and when you're impassioned and on a creative level, you have to sort of set your stall out and say, that's where I'm at. And there's yeah. going to be people that love what you do. There's also going to be people that hate what you do. Yeah. But just keep going with what you're doing. And, and now the internet, especially on the lead scene, is just full of probably 12 people who are just doing the same shit. And I'm, you know, I try not to get involved in like the politics of all that sort of stuff. But it does really stress me out when people get invited to these places and they go and they write some pretty average stuff about and and i know these restaurants are fucking good it doesn't matter what you eat or these places are amazing like yeah. eat your greens for example had a reviewer last year that went and it was probably the most i don't know eloquent review they'd ever written um and it essentially said i didn't like anything that was there you knew the menu before you fucking went right so didn't like anything there and we had to get yeah. chicken nuggets on the way home now, to me, you've said everything you need to say about yourself within the fact that you've written a scathing review about somewhere quite simply because you didn't like what was put in front of you. Yeah. So it wasn't to your taste. That doesn't mean the food that was bad. And this is also a distinction that people need to understand. If you don't know how stuff's supposed to be cooked or and you're reviewing food, and then you go to a place that's beautiful and they take care and time and passion and energy over what they're doing and you say it was all shit because your palate is not maybe atoned to that and then you put I had to get chicken nuggets on the way home stop writing about food immediately please <laughs> please stop or go and write about McDonald's and kebabs and takeaways right let's end on a positive okay <laughs> sorry <laughs> I was loving it the passion let's flip the fucking table I'm out of here punch a sign Right, where are the spots in Leeds at 11 right now? Uh, so for food, Stutzy, if you've never been in your life, go to Tyroidy. It's probably the greatest place on the earth. Yeah, yeah. Uh, for the last two years, I've been for my birthday meal. I wouldn't choose anywhere else in Leeds. It's great. It's pretty, no thrills. No, But yeah. the it's, food is absolutely bad. There is not a single thrill in the place, but it is fucking great. Beautiful. Um, Tabula Rossa, absolutely stunning for drinks. Uh, crowd of favours probably one of the best spots in these for food uh, especially on a Sunday yeah because I'm not working on a Sunday normally <laughs> um, eat your greens I think eat your greens has always been standout for me the menu changes I think now weekly they always have like we eight were, dishes on we were talking about this earlier really kind of because um, as I said it, it struck me as a very kind of vegan vegetarian strong place um, but um, more recently it's kind of been coming through as almost the the, what do they call it? The nose to tail. Uh, the, yeah, I, I don't know all these terms, but yeah, the it's they've just they, there's a, they're looking to push like a sustainable and zero waste kitchen, yeah. and I think that's really important. And not enough places do that. But the menus that they have out now have sort of eight to ten dishes on, and it's just like real modern and fusion takes on contemporary dishes. And you go in there and you. 
there will be something on that menu for everyone. It might not read like it on the menu because some of it sounds quite far out, but the team that they've got in the kitchen and the teams they've always had in there, they know what the fuck they're doing. And they take a lot of time writing those menus and a lot of care. The wine selection in there is off the chain. And it's just... That's something I wouldn't think to consider there. Natural wine in there. Okay. Bang, bang. And you go in there and their hospitality is next level. Everybody in that building knows exactly what's going on on those plates and exactly what is going on behind the bar. That, for me, is somewhere that oozes hospitality Cool. in Leeds. So Eat Your Greens, I think, is my Top number one for everything, yeah. If you want to go out, whether it's date Food, night drink, or culture, mates, vibe. yeah. They always have a good bit of music on in there. They've got Tomorrow's Store in there as well, which is run by a lovely bloke called Tom. What do and they do? So, clothing. Okay. But uh, Tom developed it online and took it into... And it's all sort of local brands, local artists and that sort oh, cool. of stuff all on. So it's just got a real wholesome, cool vibe and all, all the stuff there are ace. Chefs are ace, food's ace, wine's ace. It's ace. Eat Your Greens, Tyroid D, Stutzy, everything else, and Ox Club. What about drinking spots? What are you drinking? Tabula Rossa, always. Um, if people have never been, go up to Wayward Wines in Chapel Allerton. I think okay. Wayward Wines and natural wine is something that I think people think I love wine I drink a lot of wine because I think it's wonderful but I think a lot of people get quite scared about natural wine and you shouldn't because it's probably tastes better than normal wine and there's just a lot of complexity of flavour and it's just fun it's really fun to try it's like when you're trying new foods and you get that and you go up to Wayward and the guys up there are very um, very knowledgeable and very helpful and you can go and taste about 50 or 60 different wines and get slightly <laughs> merry uh, and have a really good time. So what it's, is it? It's a retail spot with just, they like allow tasters or is it a bar part they've, to They've it got like, I think you could probably fit 10 people in there and then they've got a couple of tables outside. Yeah. Oh, okay. But it's nice, man. If you go up there on like a cold Friday and you'll walk past the shop and the window's all steamed up, there's people <laughs> just sat in there and some people in there for tasters just to get retail to go. And quite often they all have a charcuterie on and they'll have a cheese on. Oh, wow. And that will tends to be paired with their wine of the week so let's hope we don't blow up that spot and ruin it for them <laughs> <laughs> so it's um that's that's an awesome place i think for me now uh, roland's is also always been up there yeah. if you haven't been to roland's go there it's slightly away from the chaos of the normal core lane vibe it's a total head fuck when because you're on core lane but you're not yeah yeah so it's, i've said before but they're in northern guitar it's love both those spots and but they are literally alongside the craziness and it's just you couldn't be further away on a saturday night yeah 100 percent. if you walk out of roland's when it's closed just get an uber and get out of there <laughs> um and i don't know i think there's a lot of stuff going on in leeds at the moment i'm trying to follow like the pop-up scenes as close as possible with people doing stuff and um but get out to the burbs as well man go your boot and rallies and go your um does the oh. What's the place called that the guys from... I'm thinking of the wine spot, Far Huddingly. Bottle Chop. Yeah, Bottle Chop. Beautiful. Really nice. Again. A chop, of vine in Horsforth. Chop full of get them to Horsforth. Okay. I think because I'm living out in Eden at the moment, I'm a little bit more... I'm less city centre focused. I'm more out in the burbs and I, I'm not going to lie, it's great. Yeah. Less carnage <laughs> and everything shuts at a reasonable hour. So you're kind of at home by midnight, which is a bit older me to say, but also quite cool. Anything else? The rest of I will ask 
Yeah, no, I reckon I saw we want from you. <laughs> All right, I'll fuck off then. That was wonderful, thank that you. That was fucking great, lovely stuff. Cheers, yeah, really nice. appreciate it. Great of Crafters. Your teeth and go! Bing, bing, bing.